Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, everyone. This is your 1001 Radio Days host, John Hagedorn. I wanted to let you know about a new show that we've got out now called 1001 True Stories with Brian Tremblay. And I'm going to let him introduce himself to you right before we start Johnny Dollar. Here he is. Hi folks, my name is Brian Trombley and I'd like to introduce a new show we're bringing to the 1001 Network. It's called 1001 True Stories. On this show, I'll be interviewing ordinary people from all walks of life, sharing extraordinary moments in their lives. There will be a wide range of stories, for instance, a celebrity encounter, a search and rescue story, a cop story, a movie or TV appearance, a ghost story, a rare sighting like seeing Bigfoot or a UFO, marriage or dating stories, an unusual trip, an odd or dangerous job story, a close call, you name it. If you have a story, I would like to talk to you about it. You know what they say, everybody's got a story. Let's talk. Email me at brian at morinstreetmedia.com and tell me your story. I can't wait to hear from you. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Oh, yes? Uh, do I understand that you're in San Francisco because of the disappearance of my husband? That's right, Mrs. Wish. The doctor's insurance company seem to feel that the circumstances deserve some looking into. It is very strange, and I'm quite frightened. I know you must be upset, and I know that the police have bothered you quite a bit. But I wonder if I could come out and talk to you. Of course, Mr. Dollar. Only one thing is important. That is to learn that my husband is alive and safe. Please feel free to come any time that's convenient to you. Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Washingtonian Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Malcolm Wish MD matter. Expense account item one, $218.45 airfare and incidentals between Hartford and San Francisco. There, after a phone call to his wife, I went to the home of the missing Dr. Wish, which was situated about halfway up fashionable Knob Hill. Oh, Mrs. Wish is expecting me. My name is Dollar. Yes, she is. Come in. Thank you. You're the insurance investigator. That's right. I'm the daughter. My name's Cecil. You learned anything about Father? Not yet, but I just got here this morning. Sure, I should have realized that. I, I'd like to talk to you about it. You mean you think you know some other things that other people don't? Some other people. You haven't told the police? No, I didn't like the man who came here. Lieutenant Hughes. I don't want to talk to you until after you've seen her. Sure, anything you say. Where are you staying? The Cleveland Hotel on Saturday. I'm going to be downtown. I'll meet you at the coffee shop at noon. Okay, Cecil, I'll be there. Now, where can I find your mother? The second door leads to the morning room in the view of the bay. She's waiting, so just walk right in. And don't mention what I said to you. All right. I'll see you later. Yeah. Mrs. Wish? Yes? I was told to come right in. I'm Johnny Dollar. Oh, yes, I've been waiting. Uh, come and sit down. I'll take up as little of your time as possible, Mrs. Wish. Oh, it's quite all right. I understand the last time you saw your husband was night before last when he left the house to make a professional call. That's correct. 
Would you tell me about it, please? Oh, I only wish I knew more about it. Uh, my husband very seldom accepts night calls. But night before last, the phone rang, and he talked for a moment, and then he left. What time is that? A little past nine. Isn't it his habit to let you know where he's going when he goes out at night? No, I'm afraid it isn't anymore. Once it was, yes. And you didn't hear him mention the name of the patient that called him? No. I was out of the room, and he answered the phone himself. Well, he must have said something to you. Well, he seemed to be in a hurry, and he told me he'd be back in an hour or so that it was an emergency. Naturally, we assumed that it was one of his regular patients, so yesterday my daughter and I started phoning them. We got the names from Dr. Huber. He's the other doctor in your husband's office? Yes. I believe he's called some of Malcolm's patients, too, but none of them seem to have phoned that night. Oh, I'm terribly worried, Mr. Dollar. We'll do everything we can. How do I get to his office from here, Mrs. Wish? It's in the Tide Building on post. You can take the cable car on the corner. It'll drop you just a half a block away. Thanks. I'll be in touch with you. Right in, Mr. Dollar. I'm sorry I was so brief with you on the phone. I had a patient in the office at the time. That's perfectly all right, Dr. Huber. It wouldn't help matters to discuss Malcolm's disappearance in front of him. You know how tongues wag. Uh, please be seated. It is true that this situation is not yet common knowledge? The papers have left it alone. How did you hide the truth when you phoned his patient? What? Oh, of course you have met with his wife. She was insistent that I do that. But it is not my duty, I thought, at least at this time. Do you not agree? I suppose so, if you don't think Dr. Wish is in danger. I don't jump to that conclusion until I see some reason. The man has disappeared, Doctor. Many men have disappeared. Dr. Wish is 52 years old. He has practiced here in San Francisco for more than 20 years, before that in Seattle. The past two months, I have noticed a change in him, uh, tiring. He was no longer satisfied with his life. Are you inferring that he might have ducked out on his own? Perhaps even amnesia. Does it sound like amnesia for a man to answer the phone, tell his wife he'll be home in a short time, pick up his medical kit and drive away in his car? Who knows about amnesia? Does an amnesia victim go to the trouble of keeping a car hidden from the police of three states? It would depend on the type of amnesia. I didn't think there were types, so you must mean voluntary or involuntary. If he did just suddenly drop his life here... And you know that to be the case. I, I hope know you... nothing. Dr. Wish and I discuss very little but medical matters. I repeat that I realize that for two months or longer, he was not a happy man. If he has made arrangements to change that, I do not know, but it is a possibility. You wouldn't tell me if he were in trouble over his practice, would you? I would not, but I'm sure that he was. Dr. Wish is, to the best of my knowledge, a highly ethical man of medicine. You're probably being cooperative, Doctor, but I'm not sure whether it's with Wish or with the police and me. I am simply without information. Yeah. Uh, I have an appointment in 15 minutes, but I'd like to come back this afternoon and get a list of his patients. You are welcome. Uh, please mention it to the receptionist on the way out. She'll be happy to gather the information for you. <laughs> Would you prefer a table or the counter? I uh, was supposed to meet someone here at noon. Five after, sir. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't see her. I guess she's later than I am. Would it have been a Miss Cecil wish, sir? Oh, yes, that's right. Then if you're Mr. Dollar, she phoned and asked me to tell you that she wasn't able to lunch with you, but that she would be reached by phone at her home any time after two. I see. Oh, thanks very much. I'll take the counter. Might as well have a sandwich. I didn't suspect Cecil's motives until I left the coffee shop. Then I realized I was being followed. I kept my eyes pretty much off the man, but saw enough to describe him. Medium height and a broad-shouldered suit, and the hair that showed below a hat was so white blonde that I thought it must have been bleached. He followed me to a drugstore where I phoned Lieutenant Hughes, the detective on the case. Then my shadow followed me aboard a Market Street bus and dropped off a block after I did. He was lounging on a corner when I went into police headquarters. to have you in town, Dollar. But I don't have anything to give you. I put out a description of the doctor in his car, and I've been riding along on that. 
I'll have to for a few more days unless something breaks. I take it you've talked to the other doctor in his office? Yeah, I talked to him. And he hinted that Dr. Wish dropped out of sight. Yeah, and that in itself doesn't happen to be a crime. No, not yet, anyway. Things like that sometimes crowd the law against insurance fraud, Lieutenant. Well, not for a while. Oh, don't think I'm passing this off without reason. But the information I have now, there's darn little I can do. Except wait and see if the wife doesn't get a brush off by mail from Alaska. Someplace that's legal. Do you have a line on any women in his life? It doesn't necessarily have to be one, does it? It helps sometimes. Do you know any reason why somebody should be tailing me? Tailing you? When did you spot it? Right after I had lunch at the Cleveland Hotel coffee shop. When do you think the tail was put on you? I'm not sure. I went out to the wish house this morning. From there, I went to his office. From there, to the coffee shop. And I came here. Hmm. Any ideas? Yeah. I've got an idea that a man who wants to drop out of sight wouldn't risk drawing attention to himself by putting a tail on somebody who's looking for him. Did you? Hardly. It's all right with you. I'd like to leave things the way they are. I wanted to let you know about it, but I think we ought to let him play for a while. I'll go along with it. I got some good men I could put on it, but uh, there's always a chance of tipping him. Let's leave him alone. Maybe he's only a hungry tourist who thinks I might lead him to a good steak. He followed me back to the doctor's office, and he was waiting for me 50 minutes later when I left with the names, addresses, and phone numbers of what I'd been told were all the patients of Dr. Wish. By this time, I was learning a few things about the man following me. He was good at it. Unobtrusive, not too eager, yet never losing me. Though I didn't make myself too easy to follow. I let my shadow watch me buy some stationery and a paper near my hotel. Then I went up to my room, hoping he'd relax downstairs. I checked in the corridor three times in the next half hour. And then at 2.15, I phoned the wish house. Wish? Yes, who's this? It's the dollar. Oh, I'm sorry about not meeting you. Something came up that I couldn't get out of. You may have more trouble getting out than even you figured on. What'd you say? It doesn't look good when you promise information and then don't show up to give it. Why did you really make that date and then not show up? I couldn't help it. There wasn't anything I could do about it. What is this information you have? You can give it to me now, can't you? Not with the phone. I'll come up then. No, because Mother will be here. I'll have to meet you someplace. Are you at your hotel? I can be any time you say. Where then, the bar? I think it would better be my room. Well, that... I'll be there at 8.30. Which one is it? 8.30? Why so late? Because Mother will be here and I'll have to sneak out. Sound as if you've learned something, have you? We'll talk about it when you get here. The room is 323. Don't stop at the desk. Come right up to the third floor and wait near the elevators. I'll be a minute or so late. Why do I have to Never mind. Be here. If you stand me up again, I'll see that the police make the next date with you. Why are you threatening me? I'll be there. So will I, Cecil. Goodbye. I left as soon as I'd hung up and led my shadow away from the hotel. Before, I thought there could have been any contact between him and Cecil Wish. I kept him moving the rest of the afternoon and away from phones as much as possible while I called on some of the missing doctor's patients. I arranged it so that he couldn't have seen her go into the hotel. And still, when I reached the third floor, she wasn't waiting for me. When I spotted Lieutenant Hughes leaning against my door, I thought I knew why. Where have you been, Dolly? Thought we'd lost I've you. I've been trying to do my job. Did you scare a girl away from here? Or did you notice? There's a time and place. Tell me, does this man stop tailing you? No, he's waiting across the street from the entrance. Why, Lieutenant? Dr. Wisher's coat, hat, shoes, and the suicide note were found on the Golden Gate Bridge about an hour ago. Uh-oh. They found his body? Not yet. And now explain for what possible reason this guy should have been tailing you. <laughs> Turn you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. George Raft, popular screen star, plays Rocky Jordan, an American in Cairo. His mission, adventure. Every week, starting next Wednesday, over most of these same CBS stations, George Raft, as Rocky Jordan, gets enmeshed in new, often bizarre exploits. Next Wednesday, Rocky Jordan takes part in a search to find a beach strewn with diamonds. Don't miss this exciting CBS thriller. 
Now with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. out that Lieutenant and I, instead of playing it smart, should have collared the blonde shadow hours before, but the boat had sailed. By the time we got down to the street, he disappeared. An alarm was broadcast on his description, and Lieutenant Hughes and I went up to the wish address. This doesn't seem possible. I feel myself to accept almost any kind of horrible news, an accident, some sudden illness, anything but not this. Didn't your husband in any way show that he might have been despondent? In no way. Was there any trouble between you and him? We were normally happy little bats. Cecil. Yes, Mother? Was there anything hidden from me? Was your father unhappy because of something that you knew about and I didn't? Not that I know of, Mother. You've seen the note, Mrs. Wish? Yes, I've seen the note. And you're still sure he wrote it? Oh, I wish I weren't so sure. I'm sorry that it has to be brought up, but it sounded as if he were pretty unhappy about his life. Whatever it was, he kept it hidden. I hadn't an inkling. We've been so happy. The other doctor in his office thought that he might not have been so happy. Then Dr. Huber was aware of something I knew nothing about. Perhaps I was blind. Oh, oh I just I'm, don't... I'm awfully sorry. Now we're going to have to talk about it. Oh, yes. He's doing quite well, don't you think? Um, not as well as you are. I'm not trying. I... What are you doing? Being honest. Father's not dead, and I think she knows it. I'm glad you're so sure. It's not a suicide from the Golden Gate Bridge. That's too much. Come on out in the other room. I'm going to get We'll be back in a minute, Lieutenant. Uh, yeah, all right. Cecil, where are you going? I'll come right back, Mother. Father had no reason to take his life. What do you think has happened, then? I was going to tell you what I thought when we planned to meet at noon. But I changed my mind. Is there a change of mind what came up that you couldn't get out of? Harder to get away from than a lot of things. First, I thought that he was playing a dirty trick on me. Then I wondered if I wouldn't be playing a dirtier one on him by telling you about it. You changed your mind about meeting me at 7, too. I got the news about the things on the bridge just as I was leaving. Father's reached what they call the dangerous age. I guess it is. Finally fell in love. I don't envy him. Dr. Huber diagnosed it as possible amnesia. A typical Huber diagnosis. I don't think he knows about things. But you found out. Of course I did. I wasn't taken in by these night calls at all. I followed him. I even talked to her without her knowing who I was. It was nice. And I felt like a chaperone. What's her name? Anne Movius. Did she talk you into luring me to that coffee shop? What do you mean? I was onto that guy that was following me from the time I left there. I don't know what you mean. Stop it. I led him right over to police headquarters and told Lieutenant Hughes about him. Mr. Dollar, I don't know what you're talking about. The guy was good. I had half a hunch he might be a private detective. But then when I realized how well-practiced he was on melting away from the police, I began to wonder. There's a police alarm out on him now, so you'll save a lot of time and trouble by telling me who he is and where we can find him. You think I made you go there so you could be followed? I was followed. Why? You put me in that coffee but shop. why were you followed? Because I was looking for your father, you know that. I don't know it. Yes. I don't know anything about her. She's younger than father, about 34 or 5. Married or single? I don't know. Where does she live? Wesley. It's an apartment of building on Van Ness. I thought they'd run away together. Maybe. Give me the apartment number. Lieutenant and I will go and see. This will be the next one. Let's take it slow. No voices. Wait a minute. No, I guess not. There's a light showing under the door, though. Try it. Carson City, Nevada. Yeah. Let's look in there. 
Yeah. There's the shirt that was under the coat. Look there, more blood stains on the bed. There's something more, Lieutenant. It figures that Dr. Wish was here, all right. There was a metal wastebasket in the bathroom doorway. In it was a large amount of surgical dressing, all bloodstained. It told of a wound that had been dressed and redressed a number of times. Other things in the room fell into place. A sales slip from Mills Department Store in San Francisco. It was in receipt of the purchase of a man's shirt and jacket, probably to replace the bloodstained ones left in the apartment. The slip was dated p.m. the current day, which was Thursday. And finally, on the dresser, we found a day-old Nevada newspaper. The front-page item that seemed to fit reported, Unidentified trio murders and robs Carson City betmaker. Dying man believed to have wounded one of his assailants. Well, the time figure's all right. Leaving then, they could have gotten to San Francisco by eight or so. Then I said doctor disappeared. There are a couple of stands in town that carry out a state paper. They're a day old, so this one must have been bought today. And we didn't miss him by far, Lieutenant. According to the signs, this guy must be in pretty bad shape. To get him out of this building without drawing attention, they'd have to do it after dark, don't you think? Yeah, I think they were plenty rushed. They'd done something to cover up the tracks here if they'd had time. Doctor Wish's coat and stuff on the Golden Gate Bridge. Where does that lead? Almost any place. It's wide open once you're across the bridge. But the blonde man who was still following me when I met you at the hotel, after sticking together this far, would they leave him or come back after him? That's a thought. I'm going to get on the phone out here and put some men on it. I'll check the tenants on this floor and see if the building manager's come in yet. I'll meet you at your office. I got nothing from the building. The woman, Ann Movius, hadn't lived there long enough to become friendly with anyone. The manager knew that she had received men visitors now and then, but that was all. Nobody had seen an injured man enter or leave. An hour later in Lieutenant Hughes's office, I learned that the police had had better luck than I had. I got on the telephone to Carson City. Your description of the blonde man fits with the hair of a man named Ned Ring. Records in Nevada and Utah. Anybody with hair like that never should have tried to be a criminal. Yeah. And I gave him the name Movius. They have an Alan Movius. No record. But I know an associate of this Ned Ring. So it figures. No next of kin on Movius, I suppose, huh? No. But he must be a brother to the woman. Unless that's her married name. Anyway, they never heard of her. She's clean as far as we're concerned. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess she just happened to know her. No, wait a minute. Hello. Right. Well, that's the name, all right. Oh, good. Put him in a room. We'll be right down. What was that? Your blonde friend. He was picked up boarding an airport limousine. Well, Ring, I'm glad to see you. Look, I don't know what any of this is all about. You got no right to hold me. What happened, Ring? Did your buddies duck out on you? What do you mean, my body stuck out of me? Where were you flying to when you got picked up? The other cop got my ticket. It says L.A. I got a right to go to L.A., haven't I? Is that where your buddies are going? What buddies? I was going alone. Why weren't you going to Carson City? Look, what's eating you two? You must have me mixed up with somebody else. Your name is Ned Ring, isn't it? Yeah, sure it is. How do you think we found out what your name was? Well, he had it all over me. The other cop got my wallet and stuff. We had your name before you were picked up. We got it from Carson City. You give me this stuff. Maybe he doesn't know. Oh, the devil, he doesn't. You don't think you followed me all day without my catching on to it, do you? Never saw you before. How about a Dr. Malcolm Wish? Or Ann Movia? I'm not talking to you guys. A couple of men are on their way from Carson City. Maybe you'd rather wait and talk to them. I don't know anything about anybody in Carson City. Yes, you do, Ring. It started out to be an unidentified trio that killed that bet maker in Carson City. But it isn't anymore. We've got your name and we've got another one, Alan Movius. And we've got a link between Ann Movius and the doctor that disappeared the other night. He was held in an apartment on Van Ness. He took care of one of your buddies who'd been shot. That's a kidnapping, right? And now it looks like another murder. You tried to set it up like a suicide, but if he went off that bridge, he was pushed. I don't know anything about that. About what? That, that, whatever you're talking about. Get off that ring, you're tied up. They left your ring, didn't they? They had to get out of that apartment. And while they had you off tailing me around town, they left. And they left a hundred leads pointing right at you. That's why you're here. They even left the newspaper with the story of that Carson City killing. They really ratted out on you. Yeah. Yeah, they sure did, didn't they? All right, where'd they go? I don't know. They did. Don't think I wouldn't tell you. They pulled out before you saw me go into my hotel about 8.30. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was it. Who's the one that was wounded? Mobius. You couldn't just leave him in Nevada. 
We should have. Kept yelling about a sister and Frisco was friends with a doctor, so we drove him all the way here. How bad is Movius? Pretty bad. Slug is inside him someplace. How far do you think they could drive on him? I didn't think he could be moved out of that apartment without killing him. Where does the sister stand in all this? No place. She was stuck. Seeing her brother like that, she couldn't think of anything but him. She lied to the doc. He told him she got hurt to get him over. Then Gould and me woke up. Gould? He's the third man? Yeah, yeah. He's the one who did the gun work in Carson City. We knew we couldn't let the doc go unless Movius died or else got better so we'd get out of here. We was trapped more than the doc was. That's why I had a plan on his house and picked you up. I think you're talking straight with us, Ray. I hope you are. I've got much reason not to, have I? Well, there must have been some talk about where you'd go if you had to leave. We never did get to that. I knew where they were, brother, I tell you. You can believe that. I'm not aching to take all this by myself. He was able and willing to supply some more pertinent information, such as a description of the other man, Gould, and the make, model, and license number of the car they were driving. Even with that, it looked like the case would stretch over into the next day. But at 11.30, Lieutenant Hughes got a phone call from Petaluma, a small town some 30 miles north of San Francisco. All that drugstore. The doctor was handed a prescription for a painkiller that he had his doubts about. It was filled out by a Dr. A. Wish. He called the sheriff's office, and they have a man on the customer. Yeah, this is probably it. Sheriff Hill was right behind us. You get the layout of this place? All these motels are about the same. Driveway up the middle. Rooms on each side. Uh, that puts the number 12 on this side, I guess. Yeah. I wondered if it was the one with the light showing under the curtain. Yeah, I put two men to watch this side, but I don't think there's a way out except the driveway. All right, Sheriff. Yeah, I think we're ready to go in. Number 12 was in the middle of the row of accommodations on the right. Only three of us went to the door, and none of us expected trouble. Certainly none of us expected the kind of trouble we found. Dr. Wish. Police? I am Dr. Wish. I'll stay outside, Lieutenant. All right, sir. You all right, Dr. Wish? Yes. I was sort of surprised when you answered the door. Where are the others? I am Mobius, her brother, the man named Gould. They... They are here. Where? In the bedroom. I'd like to tell you I... I've killed them all. Sit down, Dr. Wish. I'm going to go take a look, darling. Tell me what happened. I killed them. When we left the city, I knew I would. I, I'd have to or die myself. I, I told Gould only one thing would save Movius and wrote the prescription, and I killed them with it. The wounded man with an injection, the others internally in water. And Movius, too? Yeah. And Movius, too. With her brother. She was with him. She told me she wasn't. She told me she... I... I didn't believe. I didn't believe. Dr. Wish. She told me before she died. She... Lieutenant Hughes. We have to get him to a doctor. He's got some of that stuff himself. Expense account item two, miscellaneous, $140.50. Item three, same as item one, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $577.40. Remarks, we got Dr. Wish to a doctor in time to save his life. So your policyholder, although alive, is also a triple murderer. He claims it was justifiable, but at the same time, it was premeditated, so there's a fine line to draw. What I keep remembering is that his daughter, Cecil, said he had reached the dangerous age. And I guess he had. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Jeanette Nolan, Virginia Gregg, Ray Hartman, Bill Boucher, Tony Barrett, and Lou Krugman. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at the same time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. For your security, for your country's security, invest regularly in United States defense bonds. Buy them automatically through the payroll savings plan where you work. For personal security, for America's defense. Now, let's all buy bonds. Elation and syncopation are the main elements of tonight's Bing Crosby show over most of these same CBS stations. No wonder, the groaner himself vocalizes and informalizes. And Bing's guests include Tommy Dorsey with some fancy licks on his slide trombone, hot violinist Joe Venuti, and that equally torrid songbird, Teresa Brewer. Tonight on the Bing Crosby Show, for it follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Oh, oh yes. Is this Inspector Saylor, Scotland Yard? Oh, yes, Inspector. Thanks for calling back. I understand you've been assigned to Scott Jewel theft investigation? Yes. Inspector Finley has been taken ill. I was given the case this morning. As a matter of fact, I just received the file with your request to telephone. Well, that puts us about abreast then, Inspector. I got in from the States last night. I'd like to get together with you so we could compare notes. Yes, plenty. Uh... Could you come to my office? At your convenience. Well, then, uh, why don't you come right over? But first, Mr. Dollar, tell me. Did the insurance company send you to London in the belief that the yard is no longer competent? What? We've been reminded, you know, that our reputation has fallen off badly since the stone of scorn has stolen. But perhaps you and I shall have better luck, huh? O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Financial Surety Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Hatchet House theft matter. Expense account item one, $432.50, airfare and incidentals between Hartford and London, England. I arrived in the evening and learned by phone that the original inspector assigned to the case had been replaced. The next morning, I was in contact with his replacement, and at 10.30, I was directed to his office. Here we are, sir. Inspector Sailors? Yeah? Mr. Dollar, sir. Oh, yes. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Thanks very much. All right, you are, sir. Ah, pleasure, Mr. Dollar. How do you do, Inspector? Yeah. I, uh, speaking to an acquaintance of yours a few moments ago, Inspector Finch. Oh, yes. Yes, I worked on a case with him over here last year. How is he? Quite well, thank you. He complimented you quite highly, sir. Well, that's very nice of him. But as I remember it, I think I was more of a burden than a help to him. Well, I doubt that. Well, I suppose we should face the situation at hand. Yeah. I uh, brought an accurate description of all the jewelry insured by Mrs. Scott. Oh, splendid. But the cable that reported the theft wasn't quite clear as to which pieces were missing. Mm-hmm. Well, Inspector Finley's information on that score is quite accurate, I think. Yeah, here we are. Oh, thank you. And he's covered the methods used in the commission of the crime quite thoroughly, I think. 
I'm going to spend the afternoon crime index. I should probably be able to link the method with a few of our known criminals. Gentleman's investigation, huh? <laughs> I suppose so. Rather tedious, but quite often successful. I'd like to see Mrs. Scott myself, if it's all right with you. Oh, of course. I should arrange a car and a driver for you. Will uh, early afternoon be suitable? Well, thanks, but there's no reason to go to that father, is there? Isn't she staying here in London? No, she left a place near Seven Oaks in Surrey. About 20 miles south of here. Quite an historic establishment, I'm told. It's called Hatchet House. Before I left London that afternoon, Inspector Sailors and I pulled the few facts we had. I was able to tell him that Mrs. Marcella Scott, reputedly a wealthy Texas widow, was actually slightly on her uppers as far as ready cash went. She had sold some jewelry the previous year for considerably less than its insured value. He gave me the news that Mrs. Scott frequently had been seen in the company of another American tourist named Norman King. And together, we figured the loss at slightly over $100,000. Hatchet House was a medium-sized pile of ivy-draped masonry just on the northern fringe of Seven Oaks. In addition to history, it boasted some seclusion being set back from the road in the middle of a walled garden. Mrs. Scott was in the village, but was expected back momentarily, and would I care to come in and wait? The library is quite comfortable, if you'd care to go in there. In a minute, thanks. Your name is Garrett? Yes, sir. You've been employed here during Mrs. Scott's old stay? Oh, yes, sir. She bought my services from the other side. I'm not without recommendations in Seven Oaks, sir. And you must know pretty well who's been in the house at parties and so on. I'd say so, sir. But they've all been genuine people. Class, you know... I wouldn't say that any of them would stoop to thievery. How many other servants are there? Two that live in. There's Millie Hankey. She's a maid. There's old Mr. Minns. He's the gardener. Uh, he's got a cottage out back. Mrs. Scott was entertaining night before last when the jewelry was stolen. Had she hired any extra servants? No, sir. Oh, thanks, Karen. Oh, uh, there's Millie. Millie, come here, do. Here's an American gentleman to see you. How do you do, sir? You're Miss Hankey? Yes, sir. He's come all the way from the other side, Millie, about Mrs. Scott's jewels being stolen. It's a scandal, that's what it is. But I don't suppose you'd say it's the only one. Uh, watch your tongue, Millie. Watching it. I'll be in the pantry, sir, if I can be of any more service to you. Thanks, Garrett. I will want the names of the people who were here the other night. Right, sir. I'll write them on a paper. He's got a nerve telling me to watch my tongue. A scandal's a scandal. Genuine people are not, and he knows it. Just what did you mean, Millie? I suppose the servants paid to keep her eyes open and her mouth closed. But I haven't been a servant long. I'm only a village girl from Penrith, but I know right from wrong. You don't approve of some of the things? No, I don't. And I'm going to leave when I get married. Maybe next month. Hmm. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. He's a good man. I'm sure of that. So big and strong. Lots of fun. We'll have an inn of our own someday. And I won't have to be a servant anymore. Well, I wish you a lot of luck. Thank you, sir. I want you to know, Millie, that anything you say to me will be kept in strict confidence. Yes, sir. You look like the honest kind. Now, what things especially didn't you approve of? Something that's caught your eye could be important. I don't know, but one thing. Being a widow at her age, it's indecent, that's what. And I've seen them making jokes in front of the photo of her poor dead husband... He was older, you know. Yes, I knew that. I can't say she hastened his end. But I can't say she's sorry he's buried and gone either. Who made jokes in front of his photograph? Mr. King. Norman King. He was here the night of the theft, wasn't he? The night of the theft. He's been here more than he's elsewhere. He's a filthy leech, if you ask me. I'm only a country girl, but there's a look in his eyes I didn't mistake. Not for a moment. He's slimy. I wish you'd think about the party night before last, Millie. You were here on the ground floor through most of it, weren't you? Yes, sir, the whole drunken time. Uh, I wish you'd try and remember if anybody went upstairs and stayed long enough to have gone into Mrs. Scott's room and forced open the drawer and stolen the jewelry. I'll try, sir. Don't mistake me. We aren't sure that's what happened. It could just as well have been an outsider who knew a party was going on and had a way of entry, or even somebody passing by who found the rear door unlocked. I'll try, sir. Thanks, Millie. I won't keep you from your work any longer. I'll just wait in the library for Mrs. Scott. Mm -hmm. 
I waited an hour until the butler, Garrett, notified me that Marcella Scott had phoned. She had met some friends in the village, had driven to London with them, and wouldn't return until the next morning. I could find her any time after nine that night at Claridge's hotel. I spent another 20 minutes with the servants and left for London and Inspector Saylor's office. You return before this, Mr. Dawson. I hope I didn't keep the car and driver too long. No, not at all. Especially if the time was well spent. Uh, most of it was wasted. While I waited for Mrs. Scott in Hatchet House, she was on her way to London. Oh? Huh? She's here now? Uh, Claridge's. She came in with friends. Well, doesn't seem to be upset over her loss, does she? Nor the loss of her husband either, I take it. Oh? Huh? I'm interested in the association between her and this Norman King. I see. Then you did have a talk with Miss... Mildred Hankey, the maid, hmm? Uh, yes, I did. Why? Did you? No. Inspector Finlay did. What did he say about it? Well, she suffered from an insane hate or jealousy because of this Mr. King. I didn't see it quite that way. That she berated the friendship shared by Mrs. Scott and him. This is uh, what he jotted down. Investigate... Possibility of collusion between Hanky Girl and King. Well, as I said, I didn't see it that way, but maybe he hit something. Yep. King's from New York. I'm going to make a phone call, see what I can learn about his background. In the meantime, I hope to meet him. At least I think he's here with Mrs. Scott. You're going to see her then? Her message was that I could any time after nine. I plan to be available about two minutes after. I shall be interested to hear. Uh, did you uh, get anything from your files? Nothing. Dreadfully and absolutely nothing. At five minutes before nine, I arrived at Mrs. Scott's hotel. On the stroke of nine, I phoned her suite, and at three minutes after, I met her. A striking honey blonde with tanned skin and an athletic figure that dressed her clothes nicely. I'm sorry I missed you in the country, Mr. Dollar. It's all right. I should have phoned. I suppose you're here to save what money you can for the insurance company in case my things aren't recovered. Insurance companies don't operate that way, Mrs. Scott. They can afford not to. Please sit down. Thank you. It's the expected thing, I guess. But I suspect one of the servants had something to do with it. Do you have any special reason for that suspicion? Oh, they're strange people. I don't know anything about them. I've had them two months, and I've never been comfortable with them around me. Anything else? Well, the more I thought of it, the more it seems to make sense. The house was full of people to be suspected. One of them could have taken advantage of that. The men at Scotland Yard say that it took between 15 and 20 minutes to force that drawer open the way it was done. Did you miss either of your servants for that length of time? Not that I remember. It got a little confused by 11 or so. Do you suspect anybody else, any of your guests? Oh, good Lord, no. Most of them have a lot more than I do. Did you know Norman King in the States, or did you meet him here? Are you telling me suspect Norman? I asked when you met him. Why? I wondered if you knew him well enough to know he has a record as a forger. I don't believe it. Checks. He signed the name of another widow. A copy of the record is being mailed to me. I don't care. Doesn't make any difference. Norman didn't steal my jewelry. He wouldn't do that to me. I wonder how many times the other widow said that. You don't understand me. Norman and I are the same kind of people. You don't think I married a 70-year-old Texan for love, do you? Well, Norman's made up his mind what he wants out of life, too. He's talked about it. He doesn't care how he gets it, but he wouldn't take it from me. Sure. Well, I wanted to meet you, Mr. Scott, and I have. Norman King checked into the Dorchester yesterday. He checked out today, and now Scotland Yard can't find him. If you hear from him, maybe you'd better let us know. Johnny Dollar. Inspector Saylor. Oh, hello. I'm sorry I took so long to answer. I just got up to my room. Yes, uh, well, I, I spoke to the clerk at the desk. He thought you might be going up now. Oh. to ring. You saw Mrs. Scott? Yes, I didn't learn much, but I don't think she's mixed up in it. No. Well, perhaps I have some news for you. What's that? I just received a report of a killing in Limehouse. The constable described a piece of jewelry found at the scene, and it... Uh, Corresponds quite closely to the description of Mrs. Scott's emerald brooch. Oh? Who was killed? Uh, no identification yet. A man. 
Yes, I would. I'll be waiting in front of my hotel. We will return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. What is the secret of Dr. Walter? Sorry, we don't have the answer, but we know where it can be found. Tomorrow night, over most of these same CBS stations, with a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. The unique theater of thrills called Suspense looks into the eerie matter of Dr. Walter's private life. Another thrilling CBS suspense drama, tomorrow night. star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. By the time we got to the dismal cold water flat near the Thames, the inevitable crowd had gathered in the street. The body was one flight up in a grubby room that showed plenty of signs that a struggle had taken place. The man obviously had been killed by a blow on the back of the head. He'd been identified by the landlady as George Kenzie, the renter of the room. It was a boot black who discovered the body. Said this George Kenzie owed him some money and wouldn't pay. He came up here tonight and found him dead. I found the brooch myself just under the chair there, sir. Oh, yes. Thank you, Constable. Right, sir. I'll be outside. Here yeah, now, you people that don't belong here, don't crowd the corridor. Move along now. Come along. Move along. Is there any doubt in your mind, Mr. Dollar, that this is Mrs. Scott's brooch? None at all. Look, the jeweler's mark on the back. Well, then, we've made some progress. I hardly think we'll be so fortunate as to find the four remaining pieces here. No. Offhand, it looks like there was trouble over dividing the loot, and the winner took the rest, don't you think? Quite possibly. Norman King? I'd feel better if he was found. Yeah, so would I. Matter of fact, I wish you'd keep your American criminals in America. We've quite enough to keep us busy without them. Everybody hands oh, off me. Hello. I haven't done nothing. I've gone to Mr. Kinsey's six of me own free will, and I don't need no help from nobody. Not off you, don't. Miss Gloria Stokes, Inspector. She said she'd come to pay a visit to Mr. Kenzie, but she made off the other way when she heard the news. Well, come in, Miss Stokes. I will not. Not with him lying there like that. Very well. Constable, ask Miss Stokes if she'll please accompany you to the yard. Mr. Dollar and I will see her there. I suppose it's understood that when you're with Scotland Yard, you do as Scotland Yard does. We didn't search the place, but we learned it was empty of any more jewelry after a crew of technical men collected every possible bit of physical evidence in the room and started it towards the yard's various laboratories. The results of their meticulous tests, comparisons, and examination fell into place later. We asked a few questions there without getting anything and then went back to the inspector's office where Glory Stokes waited for us. Well, here's time, I must try. I trust we haven't kept you waiting too long. This is Mr. Dollar, American investigator. How do you do? What would he be investigating that would concern me? We'll explain the whole thing to you, Miss Stokes. It ain't Miss Stokes. Something tells me I'm going to wish it was. You're married? I am. That's why I was going to George Kinsey's. I haven't seen me Abby for three days. And I was going to ask George if he knew where the rotter was. What's your husband's name? Leonard Stokes. You haven't seen him in three days. That's right. Couldn't he give you any idea where he was going? No, why should he? I don't care where he goes and he knows it. But you said you were looking for him. I was. If he's going to desert his poor wife, she's got a right to know, hasn't she? Yeah, I suppose she has. I take it he spent quite a lot of time with this George Kenzie. Yeah, too much, if you ask me. George was no good. He was a thief. I knew he'd end up dead like this. And if I told Leonard once, I told him a hundred that he'd get into trouble if he chummed with him. He is in trouble. Ain't he in trouble? Uh... We aren't sure yet, Mrs. Stokes. What kind of trouble? Some jewelry was stolen from a woman in Seven Oaks. Jewels? Oh, uh. One of the pieces was found in George Kenzie's room. There's still almost $100,000 worth missing. More than 30,000 pounds, Mrs. Stokes. 30,000? George did that? It looks like it. There's a possibility that your husband was involved also. Leonard? Ah, don't make me laugh. He wouldn't have the brain. 
The next morning, armed with pictures of both Stokes and the dead man, Inspector Sailors and I drove back to Seven Oaks. He dropped me at Hatchet House and went on to cover the village himself. Mrs. Scott received me in the library. Good morning, Mr. Darling. Mrs. Scott, you must have left London early this morning. Yes, I did. Have you made any progress? Some, yes. Have you heard anything? I was very unhappy after you left last night. Why? Did you suddenly get lonesome for your jewels? I think you know why. I made a confession to you. I let you see what I really am. I never do that. It's all in confidence. Forget it. I've been trying to. I got a radiogram from Norman King. It arrived here late yesterday afternoon. Did you notify Scotland Yard? No. I know you asked me to, but I didn't think it was necessary. He's on his way back to New York. He wouldn't do that with stolen jewelry, would he? It would be stupid, but I'll want the name of the ship. I'll give it to you. He inferred that he knew his record would come to light because of the theft and that he'd feel better leaving England before he was asked to leave. He's a stupid, irresponsible dunce. Yeah. I have some photographs I want you to look at. Here, I'll spread them out on the table. Who are they? Uh, pictures of this man may not be quite lifelike because he was dead when they were taken. Uh, who is he? Name is George Kenzie. He was found beaten to death last night. Your emerald brooch was on the floor near him, so we're assuming he was killed because of your jewelry. You ever seen this man around here? No, not that I remember. I want you to remember one way or the other. It's possible that this man just received the stolen property from someone else, but if we can find somebody in the house or in the village who recognizes him, then we'll feel sure that he actually was the thief, or one of them anyway. I'm trying to be sure. What about the other one? I don't think I've seen either of them. And if you'll leave the room, I'd like to talk to your servants. You're going out of your way to be nasty. You thoroughly despise me, don't you? No. What I dislike is the fact that the physical part of you wasn't matched up with some mental apparatus that deserved it. Why? You asked me a personal question, Mrs. Scott. I want you to look at the photographs and think. It's important that we find out if you have ever seen either of these men in Seven Oaks. Which one is deceased, sir? This one. Hmm. How large was he? A little under six feet. Miss Hanky? I don't like looking at them, sir. I don't think I've seen either one of them, though. There's something about this one, sir. George Kenzie? Was he plump? No, I don't think you'd say plump. He was heavy, stocky. There's something about him, sir. Can't put my finger quite on it, but there's something. Could he have made deliveries here? Who brought the luggage, Millie, the day after Mrs. Scott arrived? Oh, I don't think it was him. Or this one either. They had their own lorry with a sign on it. Have you forgot? I'm sure of it, sir. There's something about this one, but I can't remember what. Well... Thanks very much, both of you. If you do remember something, please notify Scotland Yard. In the village, Inspector Sailors had found a few people who thought they recognized George Kenzie and two who were positive. None of them had recognized Leonard Stokes. So by the time we had left Seven Oaks, we were fairly sure that Kenzie had been actively involved. But since he was dead, being sure didn't mean any progress. further developed that day, although in London a stream of suspects was questioned. The next morning the situation hadn't changed, but I began to feel that in the face of the movement of Scotland Yard, a criminal would have to have more than brains and more than luck to escape. At two that afternoon, a report was phoned in that a man answering the description of Leonard Stokes had been seen boarding a train in Waterloo Station and followed to his compartment. Another call delayed the train so that Inspector Sailors and I were able to get aboard. It's your island, Inspector. Yes, thank you. Scotland Yard. What? Are you Leonard Stokes? Am I who? No, I'm not. Who are you then, sir? Well, I don't see how you've a right to you go. You must have identification. Let me see it, please. All right. I'm Leonard Stokes. Who's he? An American, Mr. Dollar. Sent here to recover Mrs. Scott's stolen property. You know where it is, Stokes? 
Answer him. It's all right. All right. I know when I'm beat. Yes, I know where it is. But I didn't kill George. How did you know he was dead, Mr. Stokes? Well, I tried to telephone him. That's how I found out. He was killed because of the jewelry, wasn't he, Stokes? I don't know. I don't know why he was killed. When was the last time you saw him, Mr. Stokes? Tuesday night. You went to Seven Oaks? I went to Seven Oaks, yes. Look, I'm willing to cooperate. Inspector, I'll, t- I'll tell you my part of it. Well, that will make it a great deal less difficult for all of us. Yes, sir. Well, he asked me to go to Seven Oaks with him. I, I didn't know what he was up to. I, I thought we was just going for a little drive. Out of five pieces missing, Stokes, we found one in Kenzie's room. Now, if you know where the rest of them are, you must have known what he was up to. If I had, I wouldn't have gone. That's the truth. Before I knew it, he stopped off at this Hatchet house and told me to wait in the motor. He must have explained why he stopped. Well, he said he had a friend to see, a gardener. A gardener at Hatchet House? That's what he told me. He came back in a while and then we drove off. And you still didn't know what was happening? No. When did you? When it was too late. On the road back to London, he told me. He told me whether I knew it or not, I'd just stolen some jewels. Well, I thought he was joking. Then he showed them to me and he says, Who's going to believe you, Len, boy, when you say that you didn't know nothing about it? Oh, what could I do? What did you do? I drove back to London. Why was there only one piece of jewellery in Kenzie's room? Well, that's all he took. Said he wanted to give it to a chum. And you took care of the rest of it? Well, I was afraid to do anything else, sir. He kept telling me I was complicated in it. Stokes' innocence, as far as the robbery was concerned, became a little embarrassing even to him by the time we got him off the train and back to Scotland Yard. But his denial of any knowledge of Kenzie's murder was borne out, A, by an alibi that proved him innocent, and B, the result of one of the laboratory tests mentioned earlier. Traces of lip rouge found on the dead man's clothing pointed the way to the murderer. Mrs. Scott is resting in her room and left orders not to be disturbed. We won't disturb her, Garrett. Is Miss Hanky here? She's in the pantry, sir. Would you show us? This way, please. Thank you, Garrett. Oh, Mr. Dollar. This is Inspector Sailors from Scotland Yard, Miss Hanky. Miss Hanky. How do you do? You've come after me, haven't you? Yes, I think we have. I don't mind. I don't care about anything now. You did recognize the photographs of George Kenzie, didn't you? Recognize them? Yes, I suppose so. I remembered. I remembered the man I fell in love with. I told you I was going to marry, didn't I, Mr. Dollar? You met him in Seven Oaks? Yes. He told me he lived in London. And I felt like a child. I'd never gotten to know anyone who lived in London. When you're born in Penrith, you never do. He was so nice. He could talk so I could listen all night. Did he question you concerning Mrs. Scott? He took me to London. And he told me he wanted to marry me. And I believed him. Millie, we're sorry. I wanted a husband the same as every girl. But he was lying. He knew I was a servant. And he found out about things. Then inadvertently you told him about the entertainment Tuesday night. The party? He said it was going to come. I left the rear door unlocked because I was going to give him some refreshments. I thought he hadn't come, but he had. He lied to me. That's why I killed him. You went to London last night? Yes. He told me to leave London. He told me to go back to Penrith. Then I knew that he'd lied to me and that he'd stolen the jewelry. He called me a stupid country girl. And that's when I hit him. I... Hit him and hit him. Because it was true. That's all I am. A servant. And I'll never be anything else. Account item two, miscellaneous, $317.75. Item three, same as item one, transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $1,182.75. Remarks, the jewelry was recovered, but in spite of its value, that didn't seem too important. The importance, as I saw it, lay in the complete reversal of values. 
Mildred Hankey, who only wanted goodness, had found badness. And Marcella Scott? <sighs> Marcella Scott left for Capri the following day. It was truly Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dodd with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were John McIntyre, Ben Wright, Tudor Owen, Jeanette Nolan, and Virginia Gregg. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Thanks for joining us, everyone, at 1001 Radio Days. Reviews and shares are always appreciated. See you next time.